You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you are tuning in again, welcome back. And lastly, if you find today's episode or any of these episodes of this podcast to be helpful or insightful, please follow and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're using. The more followers and ratings we get, the more we can help people like you. And without further ado, let's get started. When I retired from swimming and became a full-fledged adult and licensed physical therapist, I needed to find a new physical activity to get involved with. That's where I came about the sport of CrossFit and got an opportunity to learn all about that. But I really had the opportunity to learn about the concept of functional fitness and the big exercise, which is deadlifting, picking things up off the floor and putting them back down on the ground. And last week, I actually had the opportunity to speak with another physical therapist who specializes in CrossFit training. But there are many different facets of functional training and also exercise. And I wanted to focus today on deadlifting itself, picking things up and then putting them back down with an expert in deadlifting. So in today's episode, I have Katie Feely, the owner of Power Plant Strength based out of Pennsylvania, who is a deadlift and powerlifting expert. And so I'm so excited to have her on today's podcast. And without further ado, let's get started. All right, Katie, thank you so much for being on today's episode. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great. I'm super excited to bust some myths while we're at it too. Oh my goodness. Myth busting is one of my favorite things to do. So for the audience who's never, who haven't heard about you yet or power plant strength, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what brought you to today's episode? Sure. So um, my gym is in Pennsylvania. We're in uh, Delco, as we call it, Delaware County, uh, southeast of Philadelphia, and we are a body positive strength gym. Um, primarily, we focus on powerlifting and strongman. Um, about half of our athletes compete actively in one of those sports, um, and the other half are just general fitness enthusiasts. I like being at the gym. Um, and then I also work with a couple other populations, college teams, golfers, I dabble in all sorts of things. Um, but strength sports is our main deal. Um, I've been lifting for about 12 years, coaching for 10. Uh, the gym has been around for seven. 
And uh, my introduction was also through CrossFit um, after college because I needed something to compete in. And then I was like, this is too much running around, but I like the picking things up part of the whole thing. So I transitioned over to powerlifting and strongman and have been doing it ever since. Awesome. Um, if you haven't seen uh, Katie's or her gym's Instagram, uh, Katie is very, very strong. And seeing all the videos of her lifting, I think, man, that would crush me because I am uh, a fraction of the strength that I have uh, that I had in the past. But anyway, super, super awesome. So let's talk about the big elephant in the room or the big thing that we're focusing on today is deadlifting. I'm going to give you a question that I didn't prep you with, but uh, if you were, so let's talk about what is a deadlift to you? Oh, great. So in its most basic, a deadlift would be what you described at the beginning, which is picking something up and putting it back down. So in the terms of lifting, uh, especially in strongman, there's all different styles of deadlifts, but effectively something is starting wandering near the ground and then it ends somewhere around your hips. Um, if we take that to life, uh, pretty much anytime we pick up an object off the ground, and put it anywhere, we are deadlifting. So I think it's it's commonly thought of as just a, a hard or challenging or potentially dangerous barbell movement, but it's actually a movement that we use in our everyday lives as well. And what are some muscle groups, uh, if any, um, at, are at work during uh, a movement or an exercise like a deadlift? All of them. That's part of what makes it such a great lift. So it's, primarily considered a posterior chain movement. So that would be all the muscles down the backside of your body, but it really requires you to use your whole body working together to move the weight, uh, which is part of why it's so challenging too. So it's one of the only lifts where the weight is literally dead. So it's not moving at all before you pick it up. So your setup is really important. How you create tension is important. How you generate power through your whole body is important. So we're really using a lot of different systems in your muscles, your joints, and your nervous system when we're doing a lift. Now, today's episode is specifically about deadlifting, but if we're looking at the big three, squat, bench, and deadlift, what is your favorite of all three of those? Oh, man. Um, that's a tough, that's like asking, like, which is your favorite child? Um, I would say either bench or deadlift. I like benching because it's so much different from all the other movements and it just requires a totally different skill set. Um, but deadlifting, I would say is the most satisfying lift. And you just feel like after a good hard deadlift session, you just feel like super amazing afterwards. Um, and in strongman, you get to do things like car deadlifts and pick up things that are also cool looking. So added bonus of feeling and looking cool while you're doing it. Feeling and looking cool when doing activity is a very uh, big quality um, that I look for in activities and, and exercises. And I love deadlifting because uh, I think from my physical therapy background, it's um, it is its application into everyday function. Um, I often see um, people who have to pick their kid up off the ground. That's a little bit more of a dynamic object. But even having if you're if you're a pet owner having to pick up your dog food or your cat litter, or even cat food. It's being able to pick things up off the ground. Um, and as Katie said, is starting from a dead stop. It's not moving. So it's being able to create that tension so you can properly lift that. Um, one of the interesting things that I would often chuckle about now, but back then, back in the day, aka 10 years ago, I would see that there was this phrase of picking things up 
with your legs. And uh, what was interesting was that when I, back then, 10 years ago, when I would see picking things up with your legs and in physical therapy school, they were telling us all about biomechanics and how to use our legs. Um, interestingly enough, and it was either because I didn't have enough experience or just didn't know any better, but I actually ended up pulling my back a few times of just trying to focus on that specifically. Um, and so with the concept of lifting with your legs, I actually transitioned my thought process to lifting with your hips, with it, which translates perfectly into the concept of the posterior chain. So let's talk a little bit about the posterior chain, what it is, and for the listeners, because they might be thinking, okay, I know that I should be picking things up safely. Um, and I've been told that posterior chain should be working, but what exactly is that? So um, the easiest way to think about it is everything on the backside of your body. So starting from like your neck slash trap area, like the top of your shoulders, all the way down through all the muscles that support your shoulder blades. Um, the, when we talk about core, we talk about it like your trunk. So the full way around your torso, not just like six pack abs. So the muscles that are on the back half of that, your erectors, and then down into your, um, down into your hips. And then through the back half of your body is going to be glutes hamstrings. Calves aren't super active in deadlift. Um, like I, I wouldn't say they're a primary mover, but you're, like I said, your whole body is going to be involved in some way. Um, but posterior chain is literally all the muscles on the back half. Right on. So the backside. So let's talk about injuries and the specific lift in general. For the folks who are listening, you or someone you know, are probably suffering or going through about with sciatica pain. So let's talk about back injuries in general, because oftentimes sciatica is related to issues with the back. When working with athletes and even yourself, um, what are some common back injuries that you see like with deadlifting? And um, I, to make it a little bit easier, we can kind of structure it based on the different phases of the lift, if that makes it easier, whatever, whatever's easiest for you. Um, I think the most common thing that we see both in lifters and in the general population is issues with the lower back. That tends to be the one, the piece that is least supported. And if your form is incorrect, will end up under the most amount of strain. So you mentioned the lifting with your legs piece. It's, it's funny because some, you know, that is a thing that like you'll see on signs and people will say it. And it's, it's true to an extent, like you're, you're, we always talk about in deadlifts, your legs are the primary movers, but your upper body are the stabilizers. So your upper body is what connects your legs, which are doing the moving to the weight that you are lifting because you're probably holding it in your hands. So if you're, even if your legs are super strong, if the things in your back are weak, that weight is either not going to move, or you're going to put yourself in a position that you're going to get be injured because you're not stable in that position. And the most common place we see that reflected is usually in the lower back. Um, typically it's in a, a fast change of position. So you'll see people set up, or if we go with the lifting example, they'll set up for a deadlift with a nice flat back. So a neutral lower back. Um, and that's great. That's what we want. But then the first thing that happens is they, they yank the bar and they end up in this cat back position really quickly. And that snap from being flat to being round is where you'll see injuries take place. And then if we transfer that to like the regular world, um, it's going to be very similar. So it's people not necessarily understanding how to use the right muscles at the right times to move an external load. Uh, and those quick changes in position are where we typically run into problems. 
We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now, having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the Sciatica Protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. So you bring up a very interesting point um, about uh, the fast change of position. I like how you put it that way, um, because oftentimes when I'm teaching someone how to pick something up correctly, um, you're right. There's some people who are like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and bend over, get really tense, and then rip this bar or rip this weight off the ground. And some people call it gripping and rip. I call it gripping and ripping it. Um, and interesting enough that, uh, for you listeners out there, gripping and ripping it uh, may seem like a great idea, but um, probably is going to do, it's not going to serve you very well. And so what I often recommend, uh, or actually let's go, let's talk about the basis. And the thing is the fact that you have to generate tension in your system. And the thing is the fact that the heavier an object is, the more force it's going to require to actually initiate movement. And so the thing is the fact that if you were to be in your car and you're at a stoplight and once the stoplight turns green and you step on the brake, you go pedal the metal, you are going to feel the jarring of that car as you accelerate. And the thing is, is that it's not necessarily going to be a bad thing if you do that once in a while, but if you do it repetitively over and over again, it actually puts a huge shock on the system and on the frames. And so um, that's, uh, yeah, so phase one is getting the object off the floor. It's the, the gripping and ripping it. Um, I like how you use the, the right muscles at the right times. Um, in the physical therapy world, we actually call that muscular coordination. So it's not just strength, it's not just stability, but being able to move in the pathways that are very, very important. Um, so that's the bottom position. Um, oftentimes that I see um, when I'm working with patients of my own, they're coming off of a CrossFit deadlift injury or even powerlifting. Um, is this concept of uh, a super arched low back. Um, and I'll, I'll share my experiences. And Katie, you can let me know if you've seen that too. Uh, what I find is people who try to lift with a super arched low back, which uh, back in the, in the strength conditioning world, it's, it's a little bit easier to say, arch your back, puff your chest up, which actually allows you to create a little bit more of a relatively neutral slash extended spine, um, which can minimize theoretically, minimize the rounding uh, of the back. And I find that when people are trying to use their back extensors as kind of like the prime movers and the main activators, they can create a little bit of pinching, perhaps a tweak in their low back. And those, that's another common uh, injury phase or portion that I see. Uh, what about you, Katie? Yeah, I think that that's fair. And I, I think part of it is just the words that we use to describe the movements as professionals. So, and people are going to run into all these different things about what 
you know, like the lift with your legs, not with your back. And then they're going to have at some point a coach that yells at them flat back only. And it's, it, there's a lot of confusion and cross wires. I think that that communication aspect is part of it. Um, and understanding what, what your body needs to be doing at different times is important to the whole movement. Um, and then looking at where you are in your own strength journey and where your strengths are as you go through that. So what I mean by that is there is no reason for someone walking into the gym for the first time to be training a round back deadlift. Um, someone that's been deadlifting for years and is pushing or really heavy weights, there is a place in lifting and in the sport for a round back and people that lift that way. And especially it comes up a lot in strongman because of the odd object lifting. There is a good amount of rounding that needs to happen in order for the lift to happen. But understanding that we train specifically for that position, we train those muscles very specifically. It's not something that somebody walks in the gym and we're just like round your back and pull it and like, like grip it and rip it, I think is a a helpful mental cue for people that get really nervous. And that what that really means is don't hesitate, just put your all into it. But where people misinterpret that is put no tension in your body whatsoever and just yank all with the wild hand. Uh, so it's, again, that's something you could say to a more advanced lifter that you know is maybe in their head, but it's not something that you're going to tell a beginner. So knowing when it's appropriate to lift a certain way is partly the responsibility of person lifting, but it's also partly the responsibility or mostly I would say the responsibility of the person teaching the lifting to make sure that person is doing what's best for their body. It's a very, very valid point that you make. And so uh, in essence, we're looking at the context of what is being applied. And so um, context and the way that you can communicate is going to be really huge in regards to the effectiveness of being able to one, get the lift done, but then also to safely protect yourself. Uh, from injury. Um, let's talk about the rounded back, um, the, the rounded back scenario. Uh, and I'm going to share with my thoughts in a second, but when someone was like, when, when, from your perspective and when you hear, oh, you should never lift with a rounded back. Um, what were you taught or what were you exposed to in that scenario where it's like, okay, lifting with a rounded back is bad for you. Um, I think I was taught with the, I had a grip it and rip it coach. Um, so I developed some pretty poor habits when I first started lifting. Um, I got real strong until I got real hurt, uh, from something that wasn't deadlifting, by the way, it was from a log press, but, um, which is a whole other topic in itself. Um, but it's the introduction, I think matters a lot. And the way that I would have someone and coach someone who is a professional athlete is different than the way that I would coach someone as they just walked in the door. And I think I was not given that opportunity. It was like, I was always a pretty strong lifter. So the coach was just like, well, we're done. Um, and that I probably would have been better served by going more slowly into it. And then I kind of take that approach with my own clients. And then obviously if they're coming in with prior injury or pain or something like that, like I'm going to be a little bit more careful, a little bit more conservative of weights and a little bit more like every single rep has to be exactly perfect where like, as they get more experienced or it gets a little heavy, you can kind of like create wiggle room. Um, kind of like you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. So I think that that's part of it too, but just automatically looking at a round back deadlift and saying bad, I think is a gross oversimplification. Um, and then the other thing I will say about it is that 
separating. And we, again, we do this a lot in strongman, separating your upper back or middle back. So your T-spine from your lumbar spine. So your lower back, which for our purposes would be like the bottom of your ribs to the top of your hip bones should almost always be flat slash neutral, super braced, super stable. T-spine is where you can get into more of that rounding uh, when you're talking about deadlifts or it, again, in strongman, we do a lot of um, T-spine extension for things like having a log or a sandbag on your chest, but we're always trying to keep a neutral lower back. So again, not something you can tell someone on day one, this has to be somebody that's at a point where they can be pretty body aware and separate their upper spine or upper back from their lower back. Yeah, definitely sounds like a lot of uh, information to think about, especially if you are new to picking something up safely. Um, so, uh, listeners and Kate, I'm going to say something pretty controversial, um, because, uh, it's important for us to be able to share the research and be able to see what's going on. Um, and so from a physical therapy standpoint, even an orthopedic standpoint as well, one of the biggest concerns that people had when bending forward and rounding the back when lifting something up was the initial fear of herniating a spinal disc. And if you are listening and your sciatica could be caused by a spinal disc, issue or herniated disc issue. There's a, a lot of different things that could be at play, but one of the most recent research articles have actually analyzed the spine when it comes to bending forward, bending backwards and twisting. And what was the really interesting finding was, um, and they actually, and I'll put the article specifically in the show notes, but they were talking about, they were having a spine move in an MRI and seeing where does that disc move in response to, to, to bending and twisting. And in theory, the spinal disc model, the theory was the fact that if you rounded forward, that the disc would bulge backwards. And when the disc bulges backwards, that's where you run into the space of where the spinal cord uh, extends. It's also where the nerves expand too. So in theory, if you were rounding at the back with load, it would actually increase the likelihood that a disc would herniate. What was interesting is that this article actually showed that there was actually uh, little to no effect um, on the movement of the discs themselves. And so I think after coming across that article, it made me start to question, okay, what, what are the big reasons as to why uh, these movements or these things are demonized in the first place. And that was, that was a very interesting piece. Um, my big thought process when it comes to lifting with a rounded back or lifting with a super extended back, or even just lifting with the flat back is trying to have a consistent spinal position throughout your motion. And I often see when I work with CrossFit athletes, um, I see this more so in CrossFit athletes compared to powerlifters, um, because I think that the goal and the incentive is a little different in powerlifting. Powerlifting, you get the bar from the floor to your hips. And then this is just my uh, naivety in the sport. Do you have to control it on the way down or are you able to drop it at the, you have to control it on the way down? You have to control it on the way down. You have to control it. Um, but in CrossFitters, what I often see, and if you've been a CrossFitter for say, uh, we'll say at least seven years, that's what I like to categorize as the OG, the original CrossFit athlete. And the original CrossFit athletes, the standard um, was, uh, the standard for completed deadlift was having that bar uh, or having your shoulders behind the bar. That was the, that was, that was a standard. And the thing was that if you looked at the, the sport and, and the training, um, and you combine that with overarching, like trying to arch and puff the chest up, getting the shoulders behind the bar did not necessarily equate to 
hip extension. It would often equate to lumbar or low back extension. And you do that over and over again, you are going to experience a, 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 a pinch, uh, an irritation of those nerves. So I would see that a lot um, in my CrossFit athletes. And we would have to do a, a lot of reevaluation to be able to say, okay, well, what is the completion of this lift? Where do your shoulders need to be? If your shoulders are behind the bar, the movement happens at your hips and not your back. And that was uh, a very, very interesting thing. Um, so we have uh, the initial gripping and ripping it, which is like the bottom phase. Um, we have like the excessive motion that could be happening at the top phase. Um, do you ever see any injuries or, um, or come across any issues when people are trying to, like once, once the quote unquote lift is finished at the top, that they have to set it back down? Um, you ever see issues like that? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because yes, uh, there's a surprising amount of issues that happen on the way back down. Um, and I think that I am keeping in mind that I have literally no actual science to back this up. This is just from 10 years of coaching experience that it's typically when you're not paying attention. So injuries happen most often on things that are too heavy, things that you do when you're under fatigue, or when you're not paying attention to what you're doing. So when you miss a box jump, it's usually the one at the end of the workout when you're already tired, when you're fatigued, putting down a lift or putting down a bar, it's, you're just kind of over it and you're not paying attention to what you're doing to control the weight down. And then if you let it get too far away from your body, then your lower back has to do some more work. And it is very common to see that does not mean that you should do like the slowest reverse deadlift in the world to put it down. So just kind of, I think the awareness is the important part that the lift is not over until the bar is back on the ground. Um, and knowing that there's, you know, you still have a heavy load in your hands, so you have to act accordingly. You have to make sure that your car is in park before you step out of your car. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> which, um, I, I only did this a few times when I was a young man, um, but now as a full-blown adult, I don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very crucial thing. It's like being able to be aware. And also um, to Katie's point, um, not every single lift has to be the slowest and has to be the most tense. In fact, it's going to be important um, where if you are in fact coming off of an injury and you are slowly getting back into lifting that you are very focused on how how much tension you create and the quality of movement but then as you get better you can actually give yourself a little bit more of an allowance to move a little bit faster generate less tension the tension and the focus that you're going to be putting into the deadlift is going to be relative to the going to be relative to how far you are from your previous injury but then also relative to how heavy and how tired you are um, so definitely keep that in mind so we talked about the concept of some common issues in deadlifting that can lead to issues with back pain and sciatica. Let's talk about for the folks who are like, okay, well, Ashley, I'm listening to this episode right now. I'm currently experiencing sciatica, but I want to be able to lift. The big question, Katie, and I'm gonna let you answer this first and then I'll share is, can people train around that injury? Yes, I think the short answer to that question is yes. Um, it's going to depend a lot on how serious the pain is and also what's causing it. So if people have been listening to your podcast for a little while, they know that there are multiple things that can lead to that sciatica pain. So it depends on the primary cause. Um, I think one of the things that you said that I think is really smart is that getting a diagnosis, 
diagnosis of sciatic pain is not, doesn't tell you the why it just tells you the what. So for me as a coach, what I need to know is the why. So is it some kind of movement? Is it moving under load? What range of motion is painful for you? And then knowing that then you can train around it. Um, in terms of how to train around it, I think the easiest way is that like I try and get people as close to mimicking the movement pattern as I can, if that doesn't cause them pain. And then also knowing that I, which muscles I want to target. So we talked earlier about how deadlift is really your whole body, but we're really looking at the posterior chain. So a deadlift day for someone that's in a lot of pain with some sort of hinging or bending forward, I might have them just do like separate do some back. So we'll do like lap pull downs and rows with the, with chest supported. So there's a little bit less pressure on the back and then we'll hit hamstrings with hamstring curls and we'll hit glutes with like possibly a machine or monster walks. Like there's ways that you can touch all those different muscles with different movements that aren't necessarily the exact deadlift pattern. And then we might just do deadlift patterning drills with a PVC pipe or an empty barbell, um, or a, a limited range of motion. So you can kind of you know, train the, the strength of the muscles in one way, train the movement pattern separately in a way that's less loaded. And then when they're feeling better, put those things back together. So that's, again, it depends on where that, what the cause of the pain is, but there's always, I think, some sort of way to work around that. Uh, as I said in a previous episode, there are many ways to skin a cat. And so the great news is the fact that you have your entire human body that can be used for exercise and training. And there are a ton of benefits of moving in the presence of an injury, because even just exercising, moving will actually release anti-inflammatory hormones, which will one, make you feel uh, mentally and emotionally better. But then also two, the release of those anti-inflammatory hormones can actually facilitate a little bit of healing and can also take the edge off your pain. Just like what Katie said, the big focus is being able to identify what are those movements or positions that can irritate you and to train around them. So if you know that bending forward and touching your toes is really painful, then it might not necessarily be the best idea at this point to deadlift. But then when it comes to bending forward and touching your toes, there's a lot of different factors. Is it because you are in fact rounding at the spine? Is the rounding of your spine actually causing your pain in the first place? Or are you so locked up? Are you so put into extension that actually bending forward puts a significant relief for people who are experiencing sciatica pain? There's a lot of different causes. If your pain is actually truly caused by herniated disc and bending forward does increase your pain, then we would want to make sure that we're facilitating a neutral spine. If say, for example, your pain is resultant of the fact that your facets are actually bunching up because you're are overarching and you're extending, perhaps a forward bend could be exactly the thing that you need to make your sciatica pain go away. But we won't know until we actually identify, well, what are all these things? And that's why when you're working with a professional like Katie, uh, or even working with a professional like myself, we have to ask a lot of questions. And I remember early on in my career, when I would ask all these questions about like, okay, well, what are your biggest challenges? What if, if bending forward, touching your toes hurts, what about this movement hurts you? All of these questions gives us a better idea in trying to identify what is going to be our solution. We can't provide a solution if we don't have all the information and we can't get all the information if we don't ask questions. And so for you listeners out there, if you're in the search for a coach, a physical therapist, a practitioner, someone who can help you, if 
they just say, what can I help you? And, they, and you say, my back hurts. And they say, okay, well, here are these 13 different things that you need to do. I would highly suggest that you either ask why or find another practitioner that will ask you, in fact, questions so they can get a true understanding. So um, right on, Katie. So let's talk about um, the, the another big piece is the fact that they're, they're told, their doctors are telling them, oh my gosh, you are never allowed to deadlift ever again. It's the scariest thing. It's the worst thing for your back. What, uh, what are your thoughts? What's your responses? Uh, not to the doctor, to the person who's coming to you saying like, my doctor told me to never do this. Um, well, I, I'm going to preface this by saying that scope of practice is super important and I am not a doctor and that doctors have an important role to play in your health and wellness. But I would also tell that person to find a new doctor. Um, that, that to me, is someone that doesn't understand what lifting is, doesn't also understand the functional realities of what you're life entails. So if you tell someone to never deadlift, you're effectively saying, don't pick something up off the floor. And there's no way really that that's going to be a beneficial thing in your life. And if it's really causing you that much pain to pick something up off the floor, it's something that needs to be addressed for your overall quality of life, whether or not you are someone that lifts in the gym. So to me, that's lazy doctoring. Um, and I would advise that person to find someone else. Um, that's where our network comes in. And I always tell people that it's helpful to find doctors that are at least familiar with lifting or sports performance or athletics so that they have a more dynamic understanding of what it is that you do and how you can get better. Um, because just having someone not do stuff, I think it's, it's also worth noting that if we're not doing things, Typically, that doesn't mean that people are going to like, go find another activity. Um, often it results in someone just like sitting in a couch or a chair all day, which is arguably even worse for your back and hips. So I think encouraging people to not be active is not the right answer. Um, you just have to find activities that help you to be live in less pain and then strengthen so that you can do more activities. And to go off that, um, this concept of yeah, these, they, the, the doctor, the, the person who's speaking to you might not have a full understanding of the, the current task at hand. And the reality is, is that if you don't understand something, it could be very, for, uh, it's very foreign. And it could also be really scary. I know that for me, uh, I have a terrible vision. And if I were to take my glasses off, I can, I can definitely see that the sky is blue, but if like a human person was running towards me and I, all I could see was just like this blob running towards me, I would get scared and I would try to avoid that as well. But if, for all I know, if I put my glasses on, it's my wife running towards me, you know, that's a different story. So being able to get a true understanding and if the person that you're working with isn't understanding the, the task at hand, then I 100% agree with Katie, find a different practitioner that actually gives uh, can give you some good insight and, and have a clear understanding. Um, and uh, so from there, um, piggybacking off of that, if you have children and your doctor tells you to never deadlift, does that, are, are they implying that you're never allowed to pick up your child ever again? Now, granted that if you have like a teenager, you might not want to pick up your child, but if you have a child of like child carrying age, I don't know, under, under six, um, I know that it's, it's a very crucial bonding time. Um, for for you and your child. So there's definitely a lot of things. And the, the good news is that there 
it's not a death sentence when you experience sciatica pain and it's not a death sentence when you are told to not do a specific activity especially if you really enjoy it and got a lot of benefit um, from it so um earlier in this conversation katie you were talking about i um i think you said there were like you often saw three major reasons or i guess like scenarios in which uh, people could hurt their back when deadlifting. I think you said like when they're tired, when they aren't paying attention. And there was a third scenario of, do you remember? Probably that it was too heavy. It was, or it was too heavy. Um, so we, we covered, okay, what could be leading to these injuries in the first place? And then we talked about, okay, people who are experiencing sciatica. It's not a dead sentence. They can work around it. There's many different body parts that we can train. But now here's this person who is in active pain. Um, let's talk about recovery strategies. And then, um, yeah, let's talk about recovery strategies first. Like when you're working with your athletes who are lifting heavy and you want to uh, prevent them, like to help them stay healthy, obviously injury prevention is one of them, but recovery strategies is a very important part too. I think it's really easy for us humans to push ourselves to the limit, which is why we're able to push human performance on a daily basis. But what are some recovery strategies that you recommend for your clients to help them feel better and then also to prevent the onset or even just like slowly get back into the group? Um, I think when we're talking about just, I would say, like, I'm going to, I'm going to call them normal people. So people who are not necessarily competitive athletes, people who do not have a history of um, chronic pain or acute injury that recovery mostly looks like listening to your body and not overdoing it. So making sure that I think, I think there's a tendency of like the, like there's the no pain, no gain mentality. There's the no days off mentality and that that's really working against us. So everyone, regardless of pain or injury or whatever, should be taking an adequate amount of rest, making sure that you're sleeping, making sure that you're eating and drinking enough water and food and just generally taking care of your body um, and not pushing to a maximum effort every single day. Um, when we're talking about recovery from a specific injury, I, the people I think that struggle with it, I'm not gonna say the most, but people that struggle a lot um, are people that are used to doing either a high level, a high amount of activity or competing at or performing at a really high level because they find that that ramp back in to be extremely challenging and frustrating. And they're like, it's too slow. I want to do this now. So giving yourself that grace to just be in the moment that you're in, do the thing that you need to do and trust that if you do it slowly and correctly, you're going to be better off and get where you want to go faster than if you rush it and then re-injure yourself. So um, just a quick example is I had a client come to me um, and they had been working with other coaches for years, um, had competed at a very high level in strongman, um, and just could not get healthy and could not get to the next level that they want to get to. They came to me and where we started, um, and this is now a professional strongman athlete. So someone who's quite strong, um, we started with deadlifts with an empty bar, uh, and we built all the way back up. And then that year that they started working with me in under a year, we got, we got the pro card, um, Arnold bid like all these things happened, but it took going literally all the way back to the beginning. And this is someone that was already at a high level in their sport, just taking their time and not had a recurrence of injury since then. So even at the highest level, I think it's important to 
be willing to take that step back and build up the right way. And that that is trickles all the way down from elite athletes to the rest of us <laughs> who, are, who are just going in and, and trying to stay healthy. So bringing things down getting people back to square one, addressing the basics and that way they can recover. Um, we live in a world of data, numbers, 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 and, uh, and everything. And I remember, uh, I would probably say about six years into my clinical practice, um, I would see a lot of clients who they were told by their doctor, okay, you can safely return back into uh, to CrossFit or this X, Y, and Z activity. And they're like, yeah, you know, kind of take it easy. Don't push yourself too hard. Um, I often would tell people I'm a man of science and numbers. And so saying not overdoing it, I'm going too hard. It's kind of tough for me because I just need to have a number um, or trying to have an idea. Um, if we like, do, would you ever... Um, sorry, I'm having trouble trying to formulate this question, but if we're looking at how can we objectify um, people's level of activity, um, so then that way we could uh, properly get them into whatever activities that they want, we'll say specifically deadlifting. Um, I think if you have numbers that you're coming in with, so if you are someone who has been in the gym and you have lifts and weights that you are familiar with, coming in, like if you had like an acute injury and PT and you weren't lifting at all, like I would not go above, like, I hesitate to throw out numbers, but I would say like 30 to 50% at the most and starting there. But like I said, I mean, I just had an athlete come back at an empty bar and this person doubles hundreds of pounds. Um, so I think it's still dependent on the person. I, I, I prefer to talk about it more in terms of RPE. So your rating of perceived exertion, um, an RPE one, is like going for a stroll. This is super easy. I could do this all day. And RPE 10 is an all out max effort. Cannot like, you can't talk while you're doing it. And you're afterwards, you're like, I am dead. Um, we want to stay when you're first coming back at like a five, which is going to be really challenging for people who are used to being highly active. Um, a five for someone that's brand new might be, it feel a little bit more challenging just because you're reintroducing movement to your body. Um, but it's still a pace where you can like, you can maintain conversation, you feel refreshed after a workout as opposed to beat up. Um, it's going to be, it's tough because it's, I think it's person to person and situation to situation, but staying at that, like under 50% under RPE five, would be my, my primary recommendation. Love that. I love the fact that you use this RPE rating of perceived exertion. So for you listeners, that that scale zero to um, one to 10 um, is used uh, from a lifting perspective, but also in the medical field, um, we actually use it for people who are going through cardiac rehab. And it's actually based originally off of what is called the Borg scale. The original Borg scale was, I think, starts at like I think it starts at like a seven and then goes all the way up to like a 23. And it was like super detailed and it was super detailed, super accurate, but it was also really confusing for most people. Cause it was like on a scale of seven to 23, like that, that I guess it gets very, very challenging. So then they actually came up with the modified Borg scale, which is scale one to 10. And the key thing, the RPE, the Borg scale rate of perceived exertion. And when you are working with a practitioner, a coach, when you are dealing with pain, even though you may have a very high pain tolerance, it is very important that we objectify your pain levels in relation to you. So if someone asks you on a scale of zero to 10, what kind of pain are you experiencing? And if you say, oh, well, my pain is more like a two, but that's going to be like a 10 compared to everyone else. 
that's okay. We're going to be working off of that number of two because you're the person experiencing this pain. And remember, pain is a perception of whatever is going on. Yeah, there could be some damage, but ultimately it's your brain, your psyche, you perceiving that specific stimulus. And it's important for us practitioners and coaches to truly objectify what you're experiencing, what you're going through. So then we can properly dose whatever exercises, stretches, or anything that is going to be necessary for you. Um, and I love the fact that um, you also recommend that your clients would be working off of numbers. Um, when I work with my clients who are lifters, crossfitters, and they're like, I want to be able to get back and do X, Y, and Z activities, I would actually ask them what their lifting weights are. So then that way we can actually establish a game plan. You're right. It's between 30 and 50%. What I often would tell people is that for every month that you've been out of training or activity because of pain, it's at least a week of recovery or a week of ramping up before you actually get into uh, full-blown activity. So if you've been in pain for six months, it's going to take at least six weeks for us to actually get you back into your original number. So that's kind of like the the ballpark, the most conservative, we can accelerate it, we can slow it down. It's really going to be important for both us coaches and also physical therapists and practitioners to be able to work off of you and see how you're feeling. So even though we may have this plan, it is important for us to discuss and communicate in regards to what you're feeling. And communication is a very, very important piece throughout this entire relationship, whether it be with a coach or healthcare practitioner. Um, this may seem like a self-explanatory question. It might seem more like a rhetorical question, but if someone is in pain and they've been training around the pain and they're just like trying to work around it, but their pain isn't improving, what should they do? Please go see a qualified medical professional. <laughs> um, you know, it, there's, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I stay within my scope of practice. And while I can help you with many, many things with how your body works and functions, I don't have an MRI machine in my gym. I don't know how to read MRI. I don't know. There are certain things that are just outside of my ability and my knowledge. And that's why we have networks of professionals to help us because we don't all know all the things. We do not know all the things. My job is to get you listeners to fire me because I've done my job well. And then when I've done my job well, it's time for you to move on to people like Katie because of the fact that she knows a lot more about programming, a lot more about getting you stronger beyond the pain aspect. And as a result, you're going to be able to be picking things up, pressing things, squatting things that you couldn't have even imagined because you would have developed that amazing foundation and you've gotten out of that pain cycle, which allows you to live your life to the fullest. Um, Katie, this was awesome. I learned a lot about deadlifting today. Um, are there any other words about deadlifting or lifting that you want to share with the audience before we wrap things up? Uh, I think one is that deadlifting doesn't have to be scary and that lifting doesn't have to be scary. There is a starting point for everyone. Uh, and it is such a foundational thing to the way that we move our bodies in the world that it helps to learn how to do it well. Um, and that I would, I hope that people can listen to this episode and listen to the, your other episodes and feel 
knowledgeable and empowered to advocate for themselves. So if you have that doctor that says, don't ever deadlift again, that you feel empowered to ask questions, or if you walk in and say I have back pain and they just give you a bunch of things without asking you more questions that you can ask them, why am I doing this? Any professional that's worth their weight, whether it's a medical professional or a fitness professional who is not willing to tell you why you're doing what you're doing is not the person that you should be spending your time and money with. So ask for the explanation. If you don't understand something, ask questions. That's what we do as professionals to help you. And I hope that people feel empowered to do that for themselves as well. And don't be afraid to do it. I love that. And to piggyback off of uh, Katie's statement about deadlifting is not scary. I'm channeling my inner California flower child. You need to be able to bend over and pick up that beautiful flower off the ground because you deserve it. So Katie, um, for, to close, if someone was like, okay, I think I'm ready to slowly get back into powerlifting and, and, and just picking things up safely and getting strong again, what is the easiest way for them to get in contact with you? Sure. So the easiest way is through our website, which is thepowerplantgym.com. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at powerplantstrength. You can find me at Katie Feely Strength. And all of those have ways that you can contact us and feel free to name drop Ashley. Um, and you will hop to the front of the line. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. Uh, and we will help out. We have lots of very qual qualified, wonderful coaches that uh, I mean, really a, a big part of what we do is exactly what we're talking about today, which is helping people to get out of pain and live uh, good, strong, healthy, pain-free lives. So there's a lot of carry over there. And if you want it, we got it. Amazing. And if you couldn't get that, I have Katie's contact information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Katie. And I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.